Let's hear the word of the Lord as he speaks from his word. According to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, which happens to be the whole chapter I discovered. Okay. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among you standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Tom, and I'll be your pastor today. Glad that you're here. Um, you should have in your bulletin, courtesy of Linda, I think, a full-page listening guide. Call it a sermon outline. Call it a listening guide to help you track with me. I think it's only polite for me to let you know where the train is when it pulls out of the station. So this will help you follow along. At least that is the idea. And today we are going to talk about four trees. Uh, four trees, you just heard mention of one of them from the scripture, the fig tree, and I'll save that to talk about a little bit later. Uh, but the first tree I want to tell you about is actually a, a different tree. I imagine up here, um, especially with the Rockport Airport that goes down to Florida, some of y'all go to Orlando. Well, I had the privilege of my family and I, we lived in Orlando for five years, and uh, I thought that the happiest place on earth was not uh, half an hour across town at Disney World, but it was our little um, starter home. It was on a concrete slab. It was made out of concrete blocks, and uh, as my wife and I awaited the arrival of our, our firstborn child, we uh, painted the room and put down new carpet, and we put a border around the room, a jungle print border, and sometimes when I was waiting for Jacob to come, I'd go in that room, and the sun would be streaming in, and I'd lay down on the fresh new carpet, and I'd think, this is the happiest place on earth. And we could go out in the backyard, and in the backyard we had a tangelo tree. 
if you haven't heard of a tangelo before, it's kind of a cross between, between a tangerine and an orange, so a little larger than a tangerine or, you know, this time of year, the, you buy those cuties or whatever they call them, clementines, a little bigger than that. But out in our backyard, we could go, and for a, a good portion of the year, from January into about April, we could go out into our backyard and just pull a tangelo right off the tree and peel it, and it was the, the sweetest, juiciest, most refreshing fruit you ever had. And uh, we found that perhaps during our whole marriage, we've been married now, oh gee, in April it'll be 30 years, that maybe our five years in Orlando was the most popular we ever were. For some reason, people liked coming to Orlando and some of them wanted to crash with us. And so we had the privilege of bringing them out in our backyard and we'd do that thing. We'd pull a tangelo off the tree and we would share it with our guests and, and tell them about how sweet it was and how wonderful that we could just do this any old time, just about a certain part of the year. So that's the first tree I really want to tell you about this morning. But as we approach the scriptures, we're going to address from uh, Zechariah, first, the, the need for cleansing. So you have that sermon outline, that listening guide there. And if you'd like to follow along, yeah, I use closed notes. You don't have to fill it in, but I find that putting pen to paper, even if that paper ends up in the recycling bin, I, I, I find that it still helps it stick a little bit, just that act of putting pen to paper. So you can track with me. I'll give you the blanks as we follow along. If my daughter was here, she would correct me if I left one out. Uh, and uh, sometimes I give additional cross-references, things you might want to jot down. But the need for cleansing. See, this fellow, Zechariah, uh, had a strange series of visions. Now, he was a prophet uh, during the 6th century. So if you go in y'all's fellowship hall, and on the far wall, behind the whiteboard, there's that big banner that's got a timeline, as far as I could tell, of just the whole Old Testament. And on the right side, if you look, there's about three or four lines about this fellow, Zechariah that he was a prophet in the rebuilding and restoration effort because God's people had sinned and they were taken off into slavery. And some false prophets rose up and said, hey, don't worry, just, just pack a few things, just pack one suitcase and a sleeping bag. It'll be just a short time, a few weeks, and then we'll be home, lickety-split, no worries. And Jeremiah said, no, don't listen to them. God didn't talk to them. They're false prophets. It's going to be 70 years, folks. You better, you better dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, and you better pray for this wicked city in which you find yourself, or in its prosperity, you'll find your prosperity. And then God moved through a, a pagan king, a Persian king named Cyrus, and he said, y'all can go home now. And that's what some of the people did. They, they returned from exile being away from the Holy Land, away from Jerusalem, they began to return. And they began to rebuild the temple. And Nehemiah is famous for rebuilding the, the city walls, right? And so Zechariah and a priest named Joshua, not Joshua who took over from Moses, but a different Joshua. Here, this is the 6th century, circa 520 B.C., uh, they're helping lead this rebuilding effort as they're trying to restore the centrality of worship to God's people. 
and the word of the Lord to God's people, as you see in Ezra. And here we see in Zechariah chapter 3, we have the angel of the Lord, which I would say to you is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And Joshua the high priest is pictured here, and he is filthy. And so the first bullet point under letter A, the need for cleansing, is what the accuser says is correct. What Satan, the, the father of lies, the accuser of the brethren, what he says is correct. A lot of times I, I tend to think, well, you know, he's the father of lies, so he says stuff about me that's not true. But in this instance and in other instances, what he says is actually on point. And that is the case here. Because he makes the case talking about uh, Joshua the high priest, and, and in essence he says, look at him. He, you, you can't allow him into the presence of God. Because in the strange vision, night vision that Zechariah has, this is not in the temple, this scene. This is in God's throne room. This is in God's courtroom, the tribunal of God. And the accuser is there and he is present. And he says, this fellow has no right to stand ministering before the Lord. Look at him. He's dirty. So the first thing I want you to grasp there is what the accuser says is correct. He is acting as a prosecuting attorney, but he is, in fact, right in this case. Joshua is filthy. It says this of him twice. It, it means to be, in the original language, forgive me for being indelicate, we just only met. Um, it means human excrement. It means his priestly garments were covered with human filth soiled. It's, it's a different word that's used over in the prophet Isaiah when it says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Again, to be indelicate, that word is a different word in Hebrew, and it literally refers to the cloths that females used for menstruation. That's what the pictures are in the Old Testament of our uncleanness before God, that we are defiled, that we are not fit to go into God's presence. And that is true not only of Joshua, the priest, himself as an individual, but as priest, he represented the people before God. And the accuser says, you can't let this guy in here. Look how he's dressed. He has no business here. But the Lord rebukes Satan two times. Rebukes him. Because the Lord chooses to save some. That's your next bullet point. The Lord chooses to save some. He elects to select even filthy firebrands. Listen to these words from Jude. Jude is that uh, New Testament letter right before Revelation, only one chapter I'll use its benediction at the close of the service today, uh, written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the, the half-brother of Jesus, right? And what does it say in Jude? Be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, 
hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. A similar sort of note to what we're hearing here in Zechariah. Because God gathers glowing embers, plucking and snatching them from the fire and delivering them, saving them unto salvation. The Lord chooses to save some. And then we see also in Zechariah 3, our primary passage here today, that Joshua becomes clothed with righteousness. That's your third bullet point under letter A. Clothed with righteousness. It says, bring him pure vestments. I'm not going to get into all the high priest's uh, garb, what they would put on. You can study that. It's kind of interesting. But remember, the point here is this guy's clothing is all stained and dirty and worse, and they bring him fresh clothing. His iniquity is taken away. And so it's important, I think, for us to keep in mind, as, as I said earlier, what the accuser says is correct. Sometimes we try to minimize our sin, and we, we compare ourselves to others. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not like Adolf Hitler. You know, I, I, I'm no Charles Manson, or, you know, whomever you might say. That's the wrong standard of comparison when we minimize our sin. And what the world wants to say to us is, you're not that bad. You're, you're okay, just, just as you are. Just, just follow your heart, follow your gut, live your truth, be your best version of yourself. You're okay. And what the Bible tells us, and we've already had this in worship, right, that God speaks to our sin. He declares that we are in need of cleansing and forgiveness. And the passage says, iniquity is taken away. I want to tell you for a moment about my, one of my two brothers-in-law, uh, Bo. Bo is like my big brother. They, uh, he and my eldest sister were high school sweethearts. Uh, They're both walking with Jesus, uh, which is wonderful. And uh, growing up, Bo spent, during college, he spent a couple of summers with us. His family had moved. We lived in Virginia, and uh, he, his family had moved to Maine, so he spent summers with us. And he worked, I think it was two summers, as a sanitation engineer. You know what that is. Uh, now, I think kind of hanging on the back of the truck and riding there, I think that'd be really cool for about 15 minutes, you know, and, and then probably want to do something else. But when Bo would come home at the end of the day during the summers, and Roanoke, Virginia, where I grew up, is a, a valley. They call it the Roanoke Valley. And it's a bowl, the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains that surround forms a bowl. And so unless you get some kind of storm to really blow everything out of there, the hot, humid air just, just sits and hovers over the valley. And in my house, we didn't have air conditioning. Eventually, we got window air conditioners, but we didn't have central air. And Bo would come home after a day on the truck doing his work as a sanitation engineer. He would always wear blue jeans and, I guess, a, a T-shirt. And when he got home, guess what? We did not do. We didn't say, hey, Bo, how was your day? Come on in. I, I don't know if y'all have this around here, but in, in Virginia, when the garbage truck goes around and it stops lurching its brakes in front of your house, in front of your garbage cans, right in front of your basketball court, it slops out some of that, that gunk uh, on the pavement, on the asphalt. 
And then when the temperature gets up to 90 degrees and the sun is beating down on it and the, the, the haze is hovering in there and it's humid as can be, it stinks. That's what Bo smelled like every day when he got home from work. So we did not invite him in the front door. What Bo had to do was the walk of shame. Bo had to go down our driveway, around to the back of our house, in our garage, and then into um, one side of our basement. We had a, a, one side of our basement was a finished basement, the other side was just tile floor. We had laundry machine, and I don't know why, we are the second owners of the house, there was a shower stall. And so what Bo had to do is he had to do the walk of shame, go down and around, come through, he had to strip off his clothing, putting it in the wash machine, and take a shower. And he had to put on, he kept clothes down there, and then he put on fresh clothes, and then he'd come upstairs in the house into the family room, living, living room area, and he was fit for as decent company as we were. You see, he had the need for cleansing, and you and I have the need for cleansing from our sin from our filth, from our defilement. Because the accuser, as prosecuting attorney, he's, he's actually absolutely correct. The Joshua, the high priest, who represented the people, and you and me, we, we, we are not worthy. We do not deserve to be in the presence of our God, who is holy and pure and spotless and without blemish and set apart. But the Lord chooses to save some. And the Lord rebukes the adversary of our souls. And so there is cleansing from two things, I would say to you this morning. There is cleansing from sin. Kind of talked about that enough, I think. But there's also cleansing from self-righteousness. From trying to save yourself. From trying to pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps, from trying to improve the moral fiber of your life, from trying to make yourself acceptable to God. There is cleansing from self-righteousness. How, how does Paul, the apostle, talk about it in Philippians chapter 3? He gives a spiritual resume. He gives his pedigree. He says, you know, if you want to talk about Jewishness, I'm more Jewish than all of y'all. I am more pharisaical. I am more zealous with regard to the moral law of God than any of y'all. But, but then what does he say about it? I count it all as loss. I count it all as rubbish. Maybe there's a great thing for a youth group, scubala. Kids will like that. He, he, he knows the word. The, the Greek word in the New Testament means human excrement. Imagine that. Dung would be a nice way to say it. He says he counts all his righteous deeds. So, so we are cleansed, friends, not only from our filth and our sin and our guilt and our corruption and our pollution and our stain before a holy God. We also need to be cleansed from our self-righteousness, our own efforts at making ourselves acceptable to God. Because that's not where cleansing comes from. It comes from without. The angel of the Lord is standing by. And when it says he's standing by, it doesn't mean impassively arms folded, just kind of wondering what's going to happen. It means that the Lord, our Savior, is standing by nodding approvingly. 
of what's going on, what's happening for Joshua the high priest here. And he moves from filthy garments to festal robes. And, and, and Zechariah, who's having this vision, gets so excited about it. I don't know if you, you, you picked that up. Let's see, where is it? Um, da, 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 da. Verse 5. Let them put a clean turban on his head. Who says that? That's Zechariah. He injects himself into this scene. He's so excited. Give him a new hat. Say, okay, we'll get him a new hat. By the way, a couple chapters later in Zechariah, they, um, they crown the high priest. So we kind of have imagery of prophet, priest, and king. A priest king named Joshua. You know the name Joshua, Yeshua. Um, Savior, Jesus. All right, then we have the prophecy of fruitfulness. Letter B in your outline. The prophecy of fruitfulness. And we're going to find the identity of the branch in this, in this portion, the second paragraph. The identity of the branch. And I'd say to you that the branch is identified in three ways in this passage. Number one, as my servant, right? It's referred to as my servant, the branch. My servant makes us think of the suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 53 in particular. The branch. What is the, the branch? What does that mean? A, a, a stem, a, a sprout, a shoot rising up out of nothing. Because of the disobedience of God's people, remember they were sent off into exile in a foreign land for 70 years. And... and, and so the tree of God's kingdom, so to speak, was cut down. In fact, Dale Ralph Davis has a commentary on Isaiah, and he calls it stump kingdom. It's the same kind of thinking here. And last under point B, invite your neighbor. Call them. Summon them to a feast. This is our second tree in the passage. And I uh, uh, highlighted it. In your second paragraph, it's in purple. Everybody's going to come and sit under his vine and fig tree. You've heard that before, right? Vine and fig tree. That's a couple other places in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 2. It's in Micah 4. It goes just a bit further here in Zechariah. But the fig tree it was a sign of peace and prosperity and shalom that every man... Will, will sit neath his vine and fig tree that the, the instruments designed for weapons of war will be beaten into farm tools, farming implements. And you'll be able to sit outside, not stay huddled inside with your windows locked and the gates barred, huddling, hoping. No, you'll be free. You'll be sitting outside under your vine. What do you get from the vine? Grapes, olives. And the fig tree, what do you get from the fig tree? Figs. I'm not an arborist, is that the word? But I can figure that one out. But the thing about, the reason I, I didn't pick Isaiah 2 or, or even the Micah passage, but Zechariah, is because it says, not only will everyone sit under his vine and fig tree, he'll invite his neighbor. He'll sit outside, I invite your neighbor to come and to partake with you, to fellowship with you. And that's why I titled this message, 
fig tree fellowship to give that picture now I, I, I don't have a fig tree but maybe you and I could do fire pit fellowship you know s'mores you get the marshmallows going and, and whatever a hot beverage or whatever you want and you get out there and you invite not just your best buddy who always agrees with you and roots for your team but you invite your neighbors who is my neighbor Jesus taught on that didn't he everybody that the Lord brings across your path everybody that the Lord places in your life and you can invite them for if not fig tree fellowship fire pit fellowship or something So the second tree that we're talking about today is the fig tree. The third tree, growing up there in Virginia, that place where we made Bo do the walk of shame, in our backyard, we had a cherry tree, an apple tree, um, some other trees, and we had a plum tree. And one year, the plum tree was so heavy laden with fruit, it bore so much fruit that the boughs, the, the, the branches, were all the way touching the ground. There was so much. And apparently... Uh, Apparently, my family ate a lot of ice cream. Did you know those white buckets you got with the wire handle? We had a whole bunch of them. And so my mom had me filling up buckets with plums, and she'd say, go to the county's house, go to their house, go to that, and give them. So I'd ring the doorbell, and somebody would appear at the door, and I'd go, here. And they'd say, what's this? I'd say, it's plums. What does it look like? And they'd go, oh, well, that's nice. So, so, you know, we were sharing, which was good, but fig tree fellowship, I would say to you, goes beyond that. It's about hospitality. It's not about just, here, here's some leftover plums. It's come and share with me of mine. Come to my house. Let me show you hospitality. There's a book that you ought to consider reading. It's by Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's about radical hospitality. Let me tell you, she, she lives down in, in Durham, North Carolina. She and her husband, he's a pastor. And they open their house to their neighbors. My wife, I think, might have the spiritual gift of hospitality. We can't do what the Butterfields are doing. People are coming and going in their home all the time. So let me just tell you that it's, I don't know if I want to quite say over the top, but it, it's radical hospitality. But it's worth reading because it will push you to think about this. Some of the women in the church have been talking about intentionality. How, do, how are we intentional in our relationship? How do we, as, as Christian people, how do we demonstrate hospitality to our neighbors? In her excellent commentary on Zechariah, Joyce Baldwin says, while every man would have a place to call his own, his joy would be to share it with others, and loneliness would be a thing of the past. Doesn't that sound good? Before the pandemic set in, an insurance company did a study and they found that 61% of American adults are lonely much of the time. That was before the pandemic. That's the kicker. Fig Tree Fellowship can do something about this. Fire Pit Fellowship can do something about this. In the New Testament, we've got the love feast, right? Invite your neighbor. It's part of the great commandment, right? Love God, and then what? Love your neighbor. How? As you love yourself. It's part of the parable of the Good Samaritan, too. All right, so 
last thing I want to share with you this morning really is, oh, wait a minute, a quote and then a last point. The quote from another book, it's called Practicing the King's Economy. You might look for that one. It's written by a couple of Presbyterian pastors, Practicing the King's Economy. One of them says, but you can't invite your friends to join you under vines and fig trees you ain't got. So are you growing in Christ? Are you, let's do some John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you connected to him? Are you remaining in vital fellowship with the Lord Jesus? I don't care if a pandemic's going on or not. Masks, no masks. Vax, don't vax. Sing, don't sing. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? You've got to remain connected to Christ. Individually and in fig tree fellowship. We are created for community. Our last point. It'll be pretty quick here. New Testament resonance. So where else do we find the fig tree? There's actually a couple places in the New Testament. I've selected this one. Let me read it. John 1. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Ah, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Other translations put it guile crookedness. Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, there it is, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself in the Gospels. It comes from Daniel 7. Look at Daniel 7. I think it's around verse 13 and 14, where this Son of Man comes up before the Ancient of Days. So it's this apocalyptic, messianic figure. It's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. And heaven's open, angels ascending and descending. Where do we get that? That's from the Old Testament, right? That's from Genesis. That's Jacob's ladder, right? The stairway to heaven's not a Led Zeppelin song. It's Jesus. There is one mediator between God and man. The Lord Jesus Christ. A mediator is an arbiter, a third party. And I, I, I didn't read to you from 1 John chapter 2, which, which says, plan A is don't sin. My little children, I write these things to you, that you may not sin. So that's, that's, that's what I bid you today. Go and plan A, do not sin. Plan B, 1 John 2, the next breath, and if anyone sins... 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So in this heavenly courtroom scene, in this heavenly tribunal of God, which Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, brought before the Lord in his priestly vestments, his priestly garments that are supposed to be beautiful and just so, are covered with human filth. There's cleansing that's available. The accuser of the brethren says, there's no place here, and he's absolutely correct. As the prosecuting attorney, he's right. But we have a defense attorney on our side. We have an advocate with the Father. And his name is Jesus, and he stands ministering. Now his cross work is finished. He, he, he's seated on high. His ministry's not done. He's praying. He's interceding for you and for me. And we've got to hang our hats on that. What was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Did you catch his skepticism? The, it's dripping with sarcasm, is it not? Nazareth? That backwater, wrong side of the tracks? What are you talking about? And then all Jesus says is, I saw you under the fig tree. And he does a complete 180. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He believes. What makes the difference? What was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree? Well, I'll tell you what he wasn't doing. There was no deceit. There was no cunningness. He wasn't looking at uh, porn on the internet. He wasn't sleeping with a secretary or whatever. That's, he wasn't doing any of that under the fig tree because Jesus says he's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. What was he doing? The bottom line is nobody knows for sure other than Jesus and Nathaniel, I suppose. Don't know for sure. I, I would say to you that he was spending time in the word of God, meditating on scripture and praying that he was pouring out his heart to the Lord. And so when Jesus says this about the fig tree, I saw you. It completely, radically changes and transforms Nathaniel's attitude towards him. And he worships and he believes, he identifies Jesus as God's servant, the righteous branch, this cornerstone, this cornerstone, this all-seeing stone with seven eyes. It's Jesus. So the fourth tree, we've talked about this morning, my tangelo tree, my plum tree, don't have them anymore. The fig tree, we can have fig tree fellowship, whatever kind of trees you got out back. And there is that fourth tree. The Old Testament tells us, cursed is he who is hanged on a tree. And you know that Jesus died a cursed death on the cross. He, he despised the shame, but he counted it joy for the joy set before him. He went to the cross to redeem and save a people for his own possession. People like you and me, we need to believe the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we would cry out to you. Uh, as we've already done this morning, we would confess our sins. We would not try to hide them. David says, when I kept silent about 
my sin, my bones wasted away. We wouldn't keep silent about them. We would, we would confess our sin. There's no way that we can hide from you. All things are laid open and bare before you with whom we have to do. But you deign to have do with us, your people. And we do need to be changed. We do need to be cleansed. Cleansed from our sin. Cleansed from our own attempts to impress you. Or to be pleasing to you in our own efforts apart from Christ. Which is human self-effort. It's not the gospel. We confess our sins before you. We gratefully receive the forgiveness that is granted to us in Christ. Lord, I thank you for Kishwaukee Presbyterian Church, Community Church. We pray for the ministries here, for the people. We pray for the interim uh, pastor search committee. We pray for the pastor search committee. We pray for the people of this church that they won't wait until such a person is in place, but they will walk with you and enjoy you and glorify you now in their lives so much so that it will spill over into their neighbors and that they will invite them to fellowship with them. Lord, you know our needs this morning, our emotional needs. You know those who are suffering physically. You know those who are in need of employment. You are able to satisfy desires in, in hidden and scorched places. And as only you can, you can also apply your word that we've heard the gospel preach. You can apply it to each of our lives. We ask that you would do that as well. We do wish to honor you. And in doing so, I would ask those gathered here to pray with me in the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.